Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. Father, thank you, Lord, for um, this evening that you have given us, and we thank you for the fellowship we can have. Um, We pray for wisdom and, and illumination by the Holy Spirit as we study and understand spiritual warfare so that we can protect ourselves. We are currently, Father, as you know, in the middle of a major spiritual war. And we, know, we need to know how to defend ourselves and protect ourselves and our families. So, Father, uh, help us and, and to understand this battle. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, so where we're, we're at is number 12 on our outline on uh, what Satan can do to believers. And um, the big thing we want to look at tonight, it'll take some time, is that Satan infiltrates the church He'll infiltrate everything. He's infiltrated every sector of society, basically, now in medical, science. He's infiltrated education. You name it. He's everywhere. But the last bastion of, of freedom and, and, and people who know the Lord um, is now being overtaken by satanic forces. And so we're finding out that a lot of the church has went apostate. We're finding out a lot of the church has went woke, uh, um, they're not in the fight anymore. They're not doing anything. I, 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 I don't know what, I guess they're just functioning. That's all I can say because they're not making an impact on the culture. They're not resisting the culture. They're not pushing back on the culture. And that's due typically to infiltration that's happened, whether that's in the, the congregation or whether that's the pastor himself who's been infiltrated. Um, so it can happen in different ways and we're watching this uh, right in front of our eyes. I'm going to talk, take you through a lot of different points of how infiltration happens, and I want you to keep in mind, not only does the techniques that Satan does for inside the church, he will do it inside your family, he will do it inside your business, he will do it inside anything you might be a part of. You will see the same tactics, and also you can apply this on a global scale, you can apply this on a national scale of how he infiltrates everything, a nation, and takes them down. And so uh, it's very, it, it, this has a real broad application uh, when you apply it in different ways. Okay, so the warning comes from Acts chapter 20 about infiltration. And um, Paul says this, And indeed now I know that you all, among whom I, uh, I have gone preaching the kingdom of God. Now notice what he preached, what, what, the kingdom of God. Um, do not think that, that he's preaching to the churches the gospel. He's not preaching the gospel. What does it say he's preaching? The kingdom of God. That's a technical term. That doesn't mean he just preaches the gospel. That's not what, at all what he's talking about. When you, hear, when you see the preaching of the kingdom of God, it is a technical term for the messianic age. It's for the millennial kingdom as he's been preaching to them. So, which tells me, and always alerts us that once he establishes a church and they're grown up and they're mature, the topic of conversation is the kingdom. He doesn't just keep going over the gospel a hundred times like a lot of these churches do. Like every Sunday, it's a gospel message. Okay, that's fine and dandy, but you, know, but you can't have it 52 Sundays out of the year like that. 
It can't be, you know, just milk every day. You have to edify the body of Christ. So if I take my cue from the Apostle Paul, look what was on his radar. I taught you, I preach, I'm preaching the kingdom of God, the messianic age. He was teaching the, the, what will happen, the millennial uh, temple. He was teaching what Messiah will do during that thousand years and primarily what we will do during that primary uh, time. That right there is an expression of his pedagogy of spiritual maturity. Now, when a church refuses to talk about the kingdom, when a church refuses to talk about last days, because the kingdom is in the category of what we call eschaton, eschatology, the last days. So here's Paul telling you what he's teaching the Ephesians, and, he, and basically this thing would be said to us, if you're not teaching this as a subject matter somewhere in your church, you are failing at your job. Because this was on Paul's radar. Okay? So the first clue you get about infiltration is what is the content that they're teaching in the church? What kind of content? Okay? Now, again, we're in the book of Daniel, so a lot of things are prophetic, right? But if I was in, we, after we, uh, um, sorry, um, before I did Daniel, we were in Exodus, and we spent a year and a half in Exodus, okay? But what, that's, that doesn't have a lot to do with eschatology. But the point is, he's going to mention the term whole counsel of God. That as you're in a church, they should be teaching the whole counsel of God, not just let's say the gospel, or, what, or they avoid the Old Testament completely, okay? And then he says, you will see my face no more, okay? So that right there tells you, if a church is not talking about deeper issues on subject matter, then they have been infiltrated. How so? With a pedagogy, a, a, a teaching method that is not biblical. Okay, explain that. Well, if Paul is teaching eschatology and the kingdom to believers, and he expected the Corinth church to be um, mature by year three, year three, he expected everyone in Corinth to be mature. Okay, so it doesn't give you, Paul does not give you a lot of time to grow. He, he says three years is enough, you should be where you're at. You should be where, where I, you can digest the meat that I'm giving you. Okay. So if you see churches stay on the shallow level, it means they have been infiltrated by a particular methodology that comes from the world and not from Scripture. What methodology is it? It's C. Peter Wagner, uh, Peter Drucker. It's Rick Warren. It's uh, seeker-friendly. It's purpose-driven, right? It's that kind of stuff. Those methodologies actually came from communism. Did you know that? Communism has a way of uh, its pedagogy and way it teaches. It does short campaigns that are typically 40 days long and are very easy to understand in order to get the message across. But it's a short, impactful 30 to 40 days, typically. Okay. So what's the methodology of Rick Warren? 
the methodology he adapted from, uh, from the church growth movement from Peter Drucker. Peter Drucker is not even uh, a believer, okay? He's, he, he teaches companies how to make money and grow their business. So what he was taught was the power of a short campaign, from the communists. That's where Drucker got the idea. Okay? The power. So Rick Warren would do 40 days of prayer, 40 days of fasting, 40 days of the Daniel diet, 40 days of this, 40 days of that. Okay? Notice that Rick Warren was always switching campaign themes constantly when he was going. He's retired now. But that was the way pur- uh, Purpose Driven started and and infiltrated most of the churches now the methodology i'm not saying the people are or teaching like that are evil they don't even know it's communistic if they do then that's on them and they're going to have a stricter judgment but the the concepts that were taught to rick warren were communistic and what you do is you dumb down the message make it very simple and you have <clears throat> in the message the, the, the strategy you give the people is a seeable, visible strategy that if you do this and do that and then do this and do that, then you're spiritually mature. And then you could basically check off the box when you're spiritually mature. Now, Rick Warren's model, what, he used a baseball field for this. Okay? It doesn't matter what model you use. But the baseball field represented the methodology of how you can grow. And it's not a true methodology. The methodology, you have first base, and first base means you, you, know, you, you join the church or whatever. Second base is you start getting involved in things. Third base, you start doing something for the church, and then by the time you get uh, uh, to home, um, you're spiritual. Okay? And, and basically, he would take people through that rotation, and when they got to home play, okay, I'm spiritual now, I'm mature now. And it's like, what are you talking about? Just because you're serving doesn't make you mature. Just because you're, you're being served doesn't make you mature. But they had these marks that go around the, the, the horn, as we call it, um, in baseball, that when you ended up in home plate, then you're mature. That is not how you look at your maturity, it is not a formula. It's not if I do X, Y, and Z and check off the boxes, then I'm mature. That is of the devil. Okay? But that methodology was taught that if they join, they are part of a group, and they serve somewhere, then they're mature. That's not how it works. Maturity goes over a whole lifetime. And you mature in different areas at different times. And it's very organic. You can't put a timetable on anything. You might grow in one area really fast. You might in another area grow really slow. And and by the way, service doesn't mean you're mature. We would hope it means that someone's mature, but we have a lot of people in Christendom that serve and they're not mature at all. They try to fake spirituality by their maturity, okay? So the first thing I wanted, that's the first thing I wanted to point out. It's not gonna be theological, in this kind of infiltration, it's methodological. 
What are the methods the church is employing to mature their people? And if it's a Rick Warren model, seeker-friendly, or experiential, then that's the wrong model. Yes, J.D., let's get a mic to him. Um, that guy, he's got a book, and this guy's his name, Dan, um, Doug. He gave me this book to him to, to give it to, and he says, this is the best book than the Bible is. It's like the, the Bible's more... But this is the bet the nest second to the Bible. Yeah, he tells me that, and yeah, that's she, she tells me give it to my daughter. So I give it to her, and, and I and I looked at it later, and I call her back and said, threw that book out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So good. That's good discernment. Yeah. Amen. Throw it out. Okay, so the methodology that you should see being employed is that the pastor takes you to pick the high fruit, okay? That means he's, he's, the pastor's pressing you. The pastor's challenging you. The pastor's convicting you. The pastor is helping you understand difficult passages and making you, forcing you to get the high fruit, okay? To connect dots and things like that. That's what Paul's doing here. And I'm telling you, the, the, the subject matter of the kingdom is very mature material. It's very difficult, and you have to have someone like, you know, that, that knows what they're talking about to navigate you through those kinds of areas. Okay, but yet, Paul's pushing that on the Ephesus church. He is not milking it down, watering it down, and saying, look, man, you know, I'm gonna teach at the second and third grade level, and uh, Jesus loves you, and we gotta get people saved. That is the message of the dominant church in America. But how does that edify the saints? Stephen Furtick, the false teacher that he is, said that you're, if you're saved in his church, the church is no longer for you. Yeah, that's what he said. That's wrong because the church is for the edification of the saints so that you can go out and do the work of ministry. So if I shallow out my message on purpose then I'm not equipping you, and then you can't do the work of ministry. And another thing, too, the methodology that Paul is doing, Paul is giving the methodology to where the person becomes independent of the pastor. Why is that critical? Because my job is to equip you enough to where you don't need me anymore, that you can actually understand the Bible on your own. That's the whole thing. But people who shallow out the message want people to depend on them for information. So they intentionally lower the standard, and then the people are just ignorant of different things, and they have to always run to the pastor to get information from them. And that creates a Nicolaitan situation, which is wrong. Paul is teaching so they can be independent of him. He's teaching Timothy to be independent of him, that Timothy knows his own doctrine. He knows how to argue. He knows how to deal with things on his own. That's the intent of a church. If you see a different methodology other than that, you're seeing infiltration. And again, it's satanic, but it's a methodological infiltration, if that makes sense. Okay? Any questions before I move on to that? Yes, go ahead, Gabriel. Uh, we had an online question. It's, uh, what's the experiential method? The experiential method is, 
typically see in hyper-charismatic movements, okay? And in the hyper-charismatic movement, what you'll see typically in their church services is very light on the teaching. In fact, a lot of them don't even prepare a message, by the way. They'll get up, and it's this kind of thing. Let me see where the Spirit leads. We're going to go from here. That, that's really in a lot of these circles. But the majority of time is spent on music, okay? So there will be, in some of these churches, 45 minutes of music at least. At least. Sometimes up to an hour, okay? That's overboard. That's out of balance. And then the rest of the time is they will start allowing the people to move out of order in their spiritual gifts, and again, like we've talked about spiritual gifts before, 98% of what they do is wrong, but then they let them go hog wild for a period of time in the church. And it's, 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 you know, it's nothing to, uncommon to see uh, you know, music plus people going uh, out of order with their gifts and, again, imitating the real gifts for a good two hours altogether. Then the guy will finally get up there and do this. Okay. And, and then he just teaches, like, from the hip. I call it shooting from the hip. You haven't studied. You don't do anything. And so he just goes up there, I'll let the Spirit lead me. And, it's, it's, and so the level of education that is required of the people is like on a kindergarten level. So they're having experiences by having these manifestations that are going on. Like, like take, for instance, the cult Bethel up in Reading. Bethel is a cult, a grade A cult. How do I know? Because the pastor doesn't believe in the incarnation. You don't believe in the incarnation, you're a cult. Okay? So Bethel will do this. And they'll claim that angel feathers fall from the sky, and they'll claim that gold dust falls from the sky in their, in their worship services. And they'll have all these weird things that, that are akin to what's going on in the occult. And so that's what I mean by the, the experiential movement. You see that in the charismatic movement and there's no education. Uh, I can guarantee you Paul wouldn't let that happen, um, but yet that's going on. So you have that as a methodology, um, and I will say this, those kinds of churches make the most money. They're the richest churches in America, is, is the experiential churches. I wonder why. Um, who is to blame in judgment for the attendance of the churches? Um, the layman believer who is only ever known the yeah. methodological reason, like yep. those churches, are they to blame when they meet God because they didn't, you know, suss out the right. the false teachings, or is it just the pastor who you know raised trouble in the word, or you know who is the and how do you how could we? approach those you know people who assume that they are also christians living rightly how do we approach them without causing a disturbance in the church that's an excellent point whose fault is it it's both parties fault it's the pastor and the congregation because i'm sure that if you walked into a church and they were doing something like that you'd probably walk out that'd be the normal thing it's like forget this man they're crazy um, or, you know, oh, that, that's just like kindergarten stuff. I'm not putting up with that. Or they're doing the smoke and lights. I'm not putting up with that. And you would walk out. That would be a normal thing of accountability, right? Like, this is ridiculous. Um, but why are thousands of people still sitting there? 
okay? So they're responsible for their reactions. And if they think, if they think they're going to get off because, they, well, I was just following the pastor, they're wrong. The pastor's going to get nailed too. There's no doubt about that. He's accountable. He's going to get nailed. But so is the congregations. So this idea of the congregations, that they can say, well, you know, um, I don't get involved in church politics, and I don't care. I just come to church to have a good time, and you gotta, no, 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 you're accountable. So why it's both. And the fact that, like, when you tell somebody, hey, your church is teaching false doctrine or cherry-picking or whatever they're doing, they're messing with the money, whatever the issue is, and they continue to sit there, woe to them. When they know information and they won't move, oh, you can give Jesus all the excuses you want at that point. Well, my friends are here, right? Or my Bible study is here. Or I'm comfortable here. Or grandma's buried in the, the church graveyard. I can't leave grandma. Yeah, there's people that do that, right? I've always went here. You know, I've been going here for 30 years. You know, it's like, well, try that on Jesus. I, just try it. See how that works with Jesus, because it's not going to fly. He's going to give you the biggest tongue lashing you've ever heard in your whole life for you staying there like a potato and just planting yourself and doing nothing. So why? It's both. Now, these pastors are going to get, they're going to get hammered, no doubt about that. So it's kind of both, but it's a good question, because um, both share the blame. Um, and like I said, you know, the, the think about this, the money, Wyatt. The, the, in the hyper-charismatic movement, they are the richest churches in America. I mean, when, when Creflo Dollar asks for a $65 million plane and his congregation gives it to him and they get up in front and he says, look, everyone, you, you, you come empty out your wallets right here in the front and I don't want anyone giving less than a $100 bill. Don't even come up. You just, give, you just lay your, anything over $100 on, the, on this altar. And you know what? The church was able to buy a $65 million plane for Creflo Dollar and Taffy. And that's not Candy, it's his wife. Um, or, or Kenneth Copeland did the same thing. Kenneth Copeland said, I will not fly in a tube filled with demons anymore. I need my own plane. You didn't hear him say that? A tube fill, filled with demons. Talk about him reaching the world, huh? Uh, when he sees an airplane, a tube full of demons. So the, his, his church had to buy him a, an airplane. Um, or how about Joel Osteen? $100 million in worth. Richest guy in America, almost. Uh, richest, richest Christian in America now. What's going on? What's that? Yeah, Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of air have nests, that the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I don't think the intention for a pastor to go into the ministry was to make uh, millions of dollars. I, I, this sounds like flaming snow. It's an oxymoron. <laughs> it, it doesn't make any sense. But, but yet, but back to it, though. Okay, he's going to get pounded for that, right? But what about the 70,000 every Sunday that go to that church? And they think it's great. Oh, he preaches the word. I'm sorry. I've watched him. He doesn't preach anything. He's story after story after story. He doesn't preach. He's an ungodly man because he doesn't preach the word. So I don't know. I don't, I don't. 
what are you going to do? You know? But there's people that, that go for that. So I, I tell you that because the methodology Paul's employing, if you don't see that methodology, it's time for you to leave. Okay? Let's go on. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Now, what is he talking about here? Well, he's drawing upon a passage in the Old Testament. And this is uh, um, Ezekiel 33. In Ezekiel 33, this is the watcher passage, the watcher on the wall. And his, this is the admonition to the prophets. And, and in Ezekiel's day, uh, it, was, it, it was telling them, I have appointed you as a watcher on the wall. Your job, in essence, is to warn Israel of impending trouble that's coming her way. And he said to, to the watcher, if you do not warn Israel of the coming trouble, I will hold their blood to your account when they're killed. All their blood will be on your shoulders if you fail to warn. And, and so that's the watcher passage, okay? And if you warn them, then their blood's on their own head. But Paul then incorporates that into this passage, and this is where churches fail to understand what he's trying to say. When he says, I testify you that I'm innocent of anyone's blood of all men, he is saying, I too am a watcher. And now he has carried over the watcher principle into the church. And therefore, we're not modern day prophets, but the pastors are called to be watchers on the wall. And anyone else that takes up the mantle of being a watcher on the wall for Christendom, for society, or for whatever. Because he uses the term, I'm innocent of anyone's blood. Now, what does he say? Look what he says in verse 20 to explain this. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone day and night with tears. That's what he is claiming is a watcher in the New Testament. And what is a watcher then? A watcher does the same function as a prophet in the Old Testament, but he warns the flock, he warns the congregation of impending um, trouble that might be coming their way. And on, on top of that, it it's also includes teaching the whole counsel of God. Okay, that means you can't leave books out of the Bible that you don't feel comfortable with not teaching. So that's another pedagogy thing that pastors will intentionally just not preach certain books of the Bible. They refuse to do it, okay? And there's, there's, some of you have told me you came from other churches where the pastor told you specifically he would not teach from the book of Revelation or Daniel or any of the prophets. He told you specifically he would not do that, right? He's not teaching the whole counsel of God. His blood is on his hands now. So he's, he's going to bear that responsibility for not teaching the whole counsel of God. You cannot just elect, I'm not going to teach certain books of the Bible. It's not an option. Not an option. 
You don't get to say, well, so-and-so will teach it, and then I, I won't have to teach it. You can, you can, you can supplement online and watch, uh, you know, uh, uh, Tom Hughes or someone like that or whatever, or Jan Markell. You can just supplement. You don't get that option. No, 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 no. You have to do the whole counsel of God. Okay. Furthermore, being a watcher says, I am going to alert you that savage wolves are going to come in among you. They're going to infiltrate into the church. And so the watcher must go after the wolves. He must fight them off. Well, how do you fight that off? What would you do? Would it be enough for me to come out and say, guys, just want to tell you, it's rough out there. I'll be praying for you. And oh, by the way, be careful. There's a lot of false teachers and a lot of false prophets out there. Watch out. All right, let's pray. Let's go home. What if I did that? I have not served you at all. I have not helped you one iota. Because you, you, I have not identified the wolf. You could read that for yourself. What's the point of that? If you can just read it, what do you need a pastor for? The whole point of the pastor is he names names. And he calls it out. And he warns you, they're doing this. It's coming your way. Because I am not going to be guilty of anyone's blood for not warning you. I want to be clean because I warned you. Now take that and apply it to the church in America. You see the problem? Okay. People think, well, it's just Brandon. He's just that kind of guy. No, it's not. I'm just following this. I'm just following that. And it's that simple. Just follow that. If I follow that, what are you supposed to do? I am to be a watcher on the wall. You are to be a watcher on the wall. You are to warn your family of what's going down. You are to warn your family of false uh, teachings and doctrines. Uh, uh, warn your family of crazy books that they bring in and say, we, can't, we don't read that stuff. You're a watcher too. Everyone's a watcher. And part of that, you've got to know the whole council, identify enemies and all that stuff. Okay, so, so that's a watcher. He, so he uses watcher language. So therefore, he goes, let's, let's parse this out a little bit further. Therefore, take heed yourselves to, and, and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made your, you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which is purchased with his own blood. Okay? So the first thing he says, look, the church belongs to Jesus, not the person. Not, not the overseer. Okay? And I'm letting that sink in. There's too many churches nationwide that the pastor doesn't understand that that church does not belong to him but to Jesus. They have turned it into a business. They're making millions of dollars. It turns into a legacy church, which should never happen. And then you got nepotism going on at the same time. I cannot tell you how bad nepotism is nationwide. These pastors think it's their company, like they're, they made a shoe company. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass it on to my son. What better place to have is my son as the pastor? Oh, that's the last thing you should do. Just because your call doesn't mean your family's call. Why, is, do, you, why do you think it's an automatic? If you're a lawyer, do you think your kid's going to be a lawyer? If you're a doctor, do you think your, your kid's going to be a doctor? You're crazy if you think like that. But 
I can't tell you how many of this, how much of this is happening where the churches think, the, the pastors and the elders think the church is theirs. It's crazy. The minute you see them cross the line, watch what happens. They will start lording it over the people. They will start spending the, the finances like drunk sailors on leave because they think it's their own. They think it's their, that they built it, not the Lord. And when that pastor crosses that line, they're done. They're done. And that's what's going around the, the whole nation. I mean, these churches, my gosh, they're bringing in $50 million dollars and that pastor is, is unaccountable. He, he walks on water. And just like just recently, you're seeing the scandals that come out of these churches. You know, uh, what's the latest one? Um, Matt um, Chandler. Chandler, right? The guy walked on water. And then he has issues and they has to step down. Mark Driscoll up there uh, a long time ago. Uh, all of them, you start going down the names. They start thinking it's theirs and boom, that's when their ministry ends. It's not. Okay, so he even mentions that point, okay? It's the, it's, the church is purchased by Messiah's blood, not the pastor. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in, in among you. Okay, so what did he just say? They're not gonna attack you from the outside. They're gonna come from within. That's how they're gonna get you. And the savage wolves, again, are, are going to be disguised as sheep. So you will have enemy infiltration. That's what Paul's trying to say. Is you're going to be attacked from the inside, and you're not going to see it coming because you're going to be blind to it. And they won't spare the flock. They will torture the flock. They will go take them through all kinds of weird stuff. Look at else in verse 30. Also, from among yourselves, from your own congregation... Men will rise up, speaking perverse things. For what reason? To draw away the disciples after themselves. They will come from your own. You trained them, you taught them, and then because of their own ambitions, they will rise up and try to form a faction against you and take away people from your church. That's true. They do. And they're evil. Why would someone do that? Why would someone draw away disciples after themselves? Because they're being used by Satan. It's satanic. One of the, when you look at the, the, like the seven deadly sins in, in um, the Proverbs, it goes in descending order. And the last one, guess what the last one is? Causing divisions. So the dead, one of the, 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 and that being number seven means it's the worst of the sins that he enumerates in the seven deadly sins. Because division destroys. Look what it's doing to our country, right? Look what, look, the division in our country destroys our country, right? Division in a church destroys your, your church. Division in your family destroys the family, Right? How many people in your family are knuckleheads that you have to divide from? You have to divide from them. Why? Because if you keep staying with them, they will destroy everyone around you. They're so toxic. They're that kind of person. So you don't have to think too far. Just look to your own family and you'll see that kind of knucklehead because that's the same knucklehead that comes into a church and tries to do it in the church. And so 
what is the best tactic for your family? The best tactic is get them away from your family. You're not coming anymore. You're too toxic. You're crazy. No, no, we're not, we're not dealing with this anymore because if you let them stay, they will destroy the family. Now, here's the problem. They do destroy families because what happens? No one will put a boundary around them. No one will say no further, no more. And so, well, we're just going to be loving to, to, to uh, Tommy Joe here and, uh, or, or Billy Sue or whatever it is. And um, Billy Bob or something, whatever. And, um, you know, we just need to love him back to Jesus. We just need to love Billy Bob back to Jesus, man. And uh, you bring them in and Billy Bob won't stop what he's doing. He will destroy everybody in that family because he will tear up Jack because he's still the same person. Okay? And he has ulterior motives. So the same thing then starts happening in the churches. So you have people that come and they sit here. And here's the weird thing. I'm speaking from experience. They sit here and they totally disagree with everything I'm saying. And they sit there. Week after week, week after week, week after week. And then once they're entrenched for a period of time and they've made little friends here and there and, oh, they're helping us over here and helping us over there. Then, you know what starts happening? Their junk starts spilling out. They start attacking the very methodologies we use. They attack the very values we have. They attack our very vision that God has given us. Okay? Why? Think about this. Why... A normal person would come, they would hear me on a Sunday morning and said, I'm out of here. That guy's crazy, okay? They, and, and that's a normal reaction. It's like, I'm never coming back there, you know, um, whatever, right? That would be a normal thing. The same thing with you. You go into a crazy, crazy place and you're like, I'm out of here. Um, not saying we're crazy, but that's how their impression of us is. Um, It's abnormal to sit there Sunday after Sunday and keep your mouth shut and then a year or two or three or four or five years into it, then you start espousing false doctrine. Oh, then I know you're a plant from Satan because no one in their right mind would have stayed that long just to espouse views five years later. That's crazy. That's satanic. Question. We, we have an online question from Coral Pinio. What do I sure. do if my Coral family... Beach. I'm sorry? Coral Beach? Uh, that's just her name, Coral oh. Pinio. Um, what do I do if my family won't listen to the warnings and the information that I give? Shake the dust off your feet and you move on. Um, and, and it depends on what information you're talking about. I mean, if you're trying to warn them of, of you know, prophecy things, okay, then they won't want to listen. Well, at some point they will listen when the economy crashes or they need food or whatever. So wait for an opportune time, I guess I would say, until they're flat on their back and they're wanting answers. Um, if the information is, is something else to where it, they're toxic and, I don't know, they're, they're detrimental to you, um, then you have to put boundaries around them and stay away from them. Um, so you don't want to cast your pearls before swine, obviously, because um, they will trample on the information you give them, and then they will turn on you. So if Messiah said, if that's going to happen and you suspect that, then don't give them any more information at that point. The truth is, is not working for them. Yes, go ahead. 
So another online one, um, Jesus said he comes to divide, so how do you know if the division is based off Jesus or because of the devil? Because the division that Jesus brings will be division based on truth. Okay? So if you're doing the right thing and people divide from you, don't worry about it. But if you're messed up and you're ungodly and doing the wrong things, then yes, you're going to cause division because no one wants to be around you because you're a goofball and you're messing up the whole thing because of your antics, right? So you have to, that's what you have to see. Am I practicing the truth or not? If I'm practicing the truth, division is fine. In fact, if you're practicing the truth, division is necessary. It is necessary. How are you going to partner up with uh, people in this world, uh, you know, um, who want to murder babies. I, 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 I can't. I can't have fellowship with that, right? I, I live in the same country, but I'm not going to hang out with someone that wants to kill babies. I'm also not going to hang out with someone that wants to dissect children to make them an, the opposite sex and cut body parts off. I have nothing in common with you. I don't want to even be around you. That's so evil, right? So truth would divide, and it's necessary that we divide from that. Um, and, and here's the thing, you'll always hear the mantra, well, Jesus wants unity, Jesus wants unity, John chapter 17, John chapter 17. Have you read John 17? Because it, it'll say that Christ wants unity, but then he goes and puts the caveat on it. Father, sanctify them, set them apart in the unity, sanctify them by your truth. Ah, so now the caveat is, you cannot have unity without truth. That's why we're not going to be able to unite with half of America, because they're not working on the truth. When someone says the sky is purple and it's blue, there's no unity that you can have, right? You can't do that. And so um, unity is based on truth. You can only have unity with people who are like-minded, um, and so that's the caveat you have to keep remembering. And furthermore, First um, Corinthians five, like we we've talked about this. You know, if someone won't stop what they're doing and repent and 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 quit doing the toxic behavior that they're doing, you have to divide from them. You have to push away from them. You have to say no further. Boundaries are the key. Limitations and boundaries. And and unfortunately, that's. It's hard. A lot of people don't do them, though. A lot of people won't put boundaries because they're afraid of doing it and losing it and all kinds of other stuff. So um, I understand it. I, I get it. It's a big deal. But you want to destroy your family? Don't put any boundaries down. You want to destroy the church? Don't go after the people that cause problems then. Just let them go as far as, you know, just ignore them. If you ignore them, they'll create a cancer in your church. They will get a faction going. And they will espouse their false views. And you will have a subculture within a church. I'll give you an example. Philip Lee now attends our church because we're the only church that talks about homosexuality and offers even help, right? So Philip Lee has decided to come to our church. And God bless him. Um, Because he's on the front lines with this whole thing. The guy gets death threats. He, you know, the LGBT community wants to basically kill him for the things he says, right? So he comes over here. And he's going to join the church. He's going to find a safe harbor with us. But here's what he has told me. Like, he goes to some of these churches here in town just because he surveys what's going on. 
And he sits back there and he, he told me in one situation, he goes, the whole back row area was full of gays and lesbians uh, hooking up and dating. And he, go, he went to the, he went to the uh, uh, associate pastor and told him, you've got a bunch of people dating around here and they're hooking up in the back of your church during your services. And he says, oh, we just want to reach them for the gospel. We, just want, we, just, we don't want to say anything because it'll offend them. They have allowed a subculture to infiltrate the church because the pastor and none of them would say anything. So what does the people think? If you don't say anything, you must be tacitly approving what we're doing. And so Philip Lee was beside himself, says, you got to do something about this. And so here's the guy that helps people get out of it, but then going after a church that says, what, what, why are you allowing this? Because if you don't say anything, if you don't hammer an issue, if you don't talk about the issue, it will start happening in the church. It will. So these pastors that go silent, well, we don't want to talk about abortion because it's a political issue. Guess what? People in your congregation will start having abortion because you never said anything about it. You didn't tell them it was wrong or whatever you know, the issue might be. So it's very satanic, obviously. And uh, especially when, it, it, like he says, men from your own selves will come up. People that you know, people that you've trained, people that, that know the system will do it to you, stab you in the back. And the same thing in a family. Here's the people you lived with. Here's the people that, that you thought loved you. Here's the people that are supposed to love you, right? And then what do they do? They stab you in the back right in your family. And you're like, hey, man, I thought you loved me. And this is like a relative of yours, a close relative. And they're more than willing to just to keep driving the knife in your back. Why is that? Why do they, why, they don't care how they treat you. Why? Selfishness, right? They want their own thing going on. I, I don't know. It could be a, ver a myriad of reasons. But I can tell you this, they'll sell you right out. Because they don't really care about you. They're narcissists, many of them. Complete narcissists, walking narcissists. You know how many narcissists are walking around and they have never been diagnosed? It's insane. Chuck. Yes, uh, I've learned uh, since I've been walking with the Lord what true love is. True love is telling the truth. Amen. I came to a house where there was a couple of lesbians there. And she said, well, I love her very much. I says, do you know what love means? She says, well, yeah, I'm provide for her. I take care of her, and I'm to be there for her. I says, that's all good. But true love is telling the truth, and you're living in sin right now. Amen. Wow. Good she for says, you, Chuck. She says, well, my dad's a pastor. Oh, there, there you go. My dad's a pastor. Says, well, good. I says, he needs to tell you the truth. Yeah, amen. And so we turn around. Good for you, Chuck. Shame on that pastor, whoever he might be. What in the world? But good job, Chuck. Yeah, go ahead, Vic. We got another online one. Um, how do you honor the the mother or your mother when she's the one causing the division as a narcissist? <laughs> the mother or mother-in-law? There's a difference. You've heard the old thing: mother-in-laws are like pit bulls. They'll turn on you at some point in time. Um, okay, what do you do with your mother? Okay, the first thing you had to do is verbal boundaries, right? Okay, no further, mom. You can't keep doing this. You can't keep coming in our house and criticizing how dirty our house is. 
okay? Because mother-in-laws like to do that. This place is a mess. Yeah, there's kids here, you know, what are you thinking? Um, So you got to put a verbal boundary. It starts with a verbal boundary, and the verbal boundary should be respected. Normal people, normal, normal. Normal people will accept the no, okay? And normal people, you say, hey, we're not doing that anymore. Okay, but people who are not normal, they don't respect the no. And so then they will cross the verbal boundary, and then that's when you have to start employing physical boundaries. And physical boundaries start with removing your presence from them, okay? However that that shakes up. So to the listener online, if your mom says, um, you know, um, hey, I, I want to go to lunch with you on Wednesday, uh, would it be okay? We'll meet, we'll meet at, um, I don't know, some restaurant or whatever. I'll meet you there at, t- at 12. She would be obligated to say, no, mom, I'm not going to do that because remember what you said on Sunday and we still have a problem. We're not, I'm not going to give you my fellowship and we're not going to go out to eat until we get this figured out, until you stop doing your criticism of me or whatever the issue might be, okay? So the, the concept in the Bible is remove fellowship. You remove fellowship. And then you find out what gives them enough pain to change. Does that make sense? So you have to start slow, and you have to start with little things. And then, okay, well, mom's still acting the same way even though I don't go to lunch with her anymore. Well, then you have to ramp it up even more. Remove your presence from something else. Uh, I don't know, a birthday party's coming up for junior or something like that. Uh, Mom, you're not gonna be invited because look, you're acting the same way, you're doing this, you're doing drugs, and you won't stop. Um, or whatever, mom, you know, you're shooting up in front of the kids, and um, we're just not going to allow that, mom. We, we, just don't want our, we don't want our kids seeing you shoot up like that, and, and look at all the tracks you have. Um, right, and so you would, you would forbid them, right? So what happens? You just keep ramping it up, ramping it up, until the person feels enough pain to change. Okay, now here's the question. I know what you're going to ask. What if they don't? That I put everything on them and they still won't change. Aha! Then you know, you know who you're dealing with then? <laughs> you see, in normal relationships, normal, people respond to boundaries. They don't like missing out on fellowship. And they norm- but if they don't, then you're dealing with another type of person. Okay? You're dealing with a narcissist. You're dealing with somebody that might have mental problems. You're dealing with somebody that might have major spiritual problems, demonic problems, stuff like that. It could be a myriad of things. But it's like, um, I remember um, in some of my seminary classes, you know, in in pastoral counseling, they were teaching us, you know, in in counseling about children. And they would, in one of the classes, they said, look, when you're teaching somebody, children how to, uh, sorry, to to discipline them, when, when normal discipline doesn't work, then there's something wrong with the child. Because normal discipline should work. But when it doesn't, then you have a problem with the child that's beyond the capabilities of the parent. And that's, that's held true, typically, in that kind of situation, that there's something mentally wrong with the child, there's something spiritually wrong with the child, or there's something going on that if they don't respond, because um, 
usually taking stuff away from a child or you can't go out and play or you can't go with your buddies or you can't have your cell phone, that will, that will really help them get back in shape. It works. But if it doesn't work, you're dealing with another hombre. You're dealing with another hombre. And the same is true when you put boundaries on adults and they don't respect the boundaries. Um, you're dealing with something up here, either mental, spiritual, or some type of condition. So I got a hand over there, guys. Can we get a mic? Uh, specifically for this church, um, if we are if we start attending here and we have people who go to one of these apostate churches confront us because they <laughs> think we're crazy. Yeah, I know. Um, for those of us who aren't as uh, mature in our faith or can't defend ourselves um, like apologetically yet, uh, is there a resource that you could point us to for what to tell our family or our friends or those who would confront us and tell us that we are the crazy ones? Like, is there somewhere with a resource where we can be like, hey, look, just watch this. Like, this is why you're the idiot, not me. Um, um. First off, you have to discern whether they truly want to know. Otherwise, you're wasting your time, okay? Um, the second thing is, I, I, this is where I direct someone. Let's talk scripture then. Where am I wrong in the scriptures? And show me. Because what they'll do, Wyatt, is they'll just do ad hominem attacks. Okay, that's, that's satanic. A real Christian wants to either debate with the scriptures or have a discussion in that sense and see whether they're right or they're wrong. And that would be a normal person. But other people don't want normality. They want to continue to pretend that they're the spiritual ones and they're really not. That they're going to Laodicean churches and they don't want to even admit that. So they have to call us crazy when all we're doing is maturity. They're, they're mistaking maturity and lumping that with, oh, that's just uh, out there. And it's like, no. My thing is, take me on the scriptures. And that's what I would ask them. Show me what scripture we're violating. Because I'll debate anybody, because they never want to debate that. Tell me where I'm wrong on, on prophecy. I'd love for someone to do that for me. Tell me where I'm wrong. I'll debate it. I've studied the thing for 30 years. Tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm wrong on soteriology. Tell me. And that's what, that's what you have to do. You have to actually put them back into the corner and, and push them against the wall and say, okay, you're going to say that? Let's start with number one. What, what are we doing what's wrong? And that's what you have to, you have to push them back and start dealing with the Bible rather than their, their thinking ad hominem attacks. And I can tell you what's going to happen. They won't produce scripture for you. Then say, all right, if this is not about scripture, then game over. We're done. Or they're misinterpreting. And that's where I would say, if they're willing to discuss the scriptures, then let's go at it. Let's just talk about scriptures. Where, 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 what do you see that scripture saying? Because the scripture says this, and you're saying it says that, and that's where the debate happens. But if you're going to debate outside of scripture, you're wasting your time. These people, they, they don't want to debate scripture because they'll look like a fool. So I don't know if that makes sense, but always press them into the corner. Where am I wrong? Scripturally. And it's the same thing. Let's go outside of this. Let's say you're debating uh, with a constitution with somebody. And they're, they're, you know, Gavin Newsom's push, pushing a new law that breaks constitutionality. 
you know, and said, well, oh, you're just this right-wing, uh, you, you know, right-wing uh, white nationalist. Okay, whatever, call me what you want, but let's talk about the Constitution, right? Uh, where in the Constitution does it allow him to do that? See what I'm saying? You push him back to where the letter of the law is, even on the Constitution, right? But I can guarantee you what's going to happen. You push them on the Constitution, what are they going to do? Well, they don't even care about the Constitution, right? You, you get what I'm saying? They don't care, or uh, you're interpreting it wrong, or they didn't even know it themselves, right? Like, if you dealt, dealt with AOC, she wouldn't even know anything about the Constitution, right? She just wouldn't. But that's what I'm saying. Even on the outside world, push it to where the objective reality is. Okay, this is what it says. This is what you're saying. And, and I would do the same thing in the Bible. But you'll find out that the same thing you have a problem with in the, uh, sorry, in the culture with the Constitution, you'll have the same problem in the church with Christians. Because no one wants to admit they're wrong. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying let's debate. Prove that I'm wrong, and I'll accept it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But pr- let's prove it. But they won't do that. It's like um, uh, the, the guy with a stroke right now Fetterman, Fetter, uh, and, and, and Fetterman won't debate. Well, he's, and he's claiming, I had a stroke, I had a stroke, I had a stroke, so he won't debate. Why won't he won't debate? Why? Why are they running up someone that's handicapped like that? I mean, he can't even think straight, right? He hasn't done anything. He's a trust fund baby. But you see what the point is? They don't want to debate. They don't want to debate the issue. Why did Joe Biden stay in the bunker before the election and never would debate Trump? You see what I'm saying? It's the same concept. Because if you take them to task, they look embarrassed. They, they don't have the facts and the evidence behind them. You know what I mean? If someone has the facts and evidence, let's go for it. If, what, are you, what are you afraid of when you have the truth, right? Ah, you, know, you see the game? Yeah. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. And what was he warning them about? The wolves. He was talking about the wolves. They're coming. They're coming. And notice what he said. I did not cease to warn you. In all three years, I didn't take six months off. I didn't take a month off. I didn't take a week off. I continued to warn you. This guy, that woman, this movement is wrong. So when people get mad at me for being too political, as they always want to say, I say, I'm just doing what he told me to do. He told me to warn the flock. And it's abnormal that you wouldn't. The fact that I'm doing it doesn't make me the oddball. And that the fact that you're not doing it makes, uh, points to me that you you're not following scripture. And why do you think they're not? What do you think? It's money. It's money. So they don't want to run off people. Okay, I, I, I just I'm, I'm I'm on the inside of the game, guys. I, I know I know how it's played. They're not going to run anyone off because they want their money. That's what it all comes down to. And I hate to tell you, it's that crass. It's not only nationwide, but it's here in town. It's that crass. 
According to the scripture and according to what God has called us to do, Jesus Christ himself says to, to love one another, to love our neighbor as we're loving ourselves. Wouldn't you say that part of what these people are doing is loving themselves, not others around them? I mean, I'm hearing you say we're going to stand before the Lord, and we will. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. But there's nothing within me and with anybody in this church that would look at you and say that that was all. We know you love your flock. Yeah. And to me, it seems like they're not loving their flock. We have a shepherd that loves his flock. Am I correct there in the lines of what I'm thinking? It's, it's beyond that love thing? Yeah, it's... it's it- you're making a good point, and, and someone has said that, and I, I, so I'm giving credit to somebody who said this, and because uh, I didn't, but they said the pastors right now are at the point of, of loving the wrong people, because if you, if you loved your family, you would do everything to protect your kids, right, and your wife, your spouse, you would die for them, wouldn't you, to protect them. But they would rather champion a false teacher rather than tell their flock to watch out for that guy? Why, why, why do you have more sympathy for the enemy than your own people? I don't get that. That's insane. You have more sympathy for a false teacher than the people being deceived right in front of you? That's satanic. That's not even proper love, would it? It would be like you caring more for the criminal who stole uh, out of your house your kids' stuff and everything. Well, you know, I hope he doesn't get penalized. I hope they let him out on bail. Uh, bail. Yeah, what? They just took things from your kids. It would be a lack of love, wouldn't it? Okay, let, let me take what you said. Let's take it to a broader uh, expansion. Let's take it to an application right now. The application is illegal immigration. What are we demonstrating in America towards our own people? We could care less about our own citizens. That's really what's going on. And the, the illegal immigration is intentional by the globalists, by the way. They want to shut down America, collapse it into a regional center of uh, Mexico, Ma- uh, America, and Canada, okay? So they say, oh, they're doing it for love. We're doing it for love and lo- love, 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 right? That's what they're, that's, that they're saying. That's their motivation is love, love, love. And that we should be ashamed of ourselves for not loving people, Wait a second, you got your priorities mixed up. In your own personal dealings, obviously God comes first, and then your family, right? Why would you put the neighbor 12, 12, uh, 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 12 yards down the road above your family? That would be stupid. You have your priorities. Yes, you love your neighbor, but they don't trump your own family, who you are to provide for. And if you don't provide for your own family, you're worse than an infidel. Hence, if I take that passage out and broaden it to the United States, our leaders are worse than infidels because they care more about people who are non-citizens rather than its own. 
How, how does that happen? Again, it's not a real version of love, is it? And neither would it be if a pastor in a church would rather love the false teacher than his own people. I can love my enemies. No, don't get me wrong. And, and we're commanded to love our enemies. But you're never told to prioritize your enemies over your loved ones. I don't know where that concept came from, but that's satanic. You would never prioritize your enemies over your family, ever. You would love them, seek the best, but no. no I'm not going to reprioritize them, no way. Okay, questions? I was just going to say, um, they love them until they, you send them to their house. <laughs> right? <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah, you're, you're right. You send them to Martha's Vineyard or you send them to... Uh, um, so, uh, what, where else did they send them to? Kamala's house, right? They should send them to Pelosi and Gavin's. But yeah, it, it, it's like, um, you know, the, the real true colors come out on them, right? The real tr- colors are shown by that. And, um, you know, this is interesting, okay? This is interesting. So I grew up in Delano, and um, that's where obviously Cesar Chavez and his activities were during that period of time, right? Did you know that Cesar Chavez put his guys on the border to prevent illegals from coming into our country? Isn't that, they never want to talk about that. They, 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 the left always champions Cesar Chavez, but he's the one who sent his thugs to the border and beat up illegal aliens coming through the border. No one wants to keep him out because he didn't want his own guys getting their, their work stolen away from them in the UFW. How come no one talks about that? Did you know that? that isn't that the weirdest thing? That he himself didn't want illegal aliens in here. He himself didn't want them. Wow. Wow. Okay, question. Um, it's an online question. Why don't the sheep under the wolves see that they're wolves? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, why don't the sheep see the wolves? Because it's the responsibility of the sheep to have enough discernment to smell a wolf. Okay? So this comes back to Wyatt on, on both ends being uh, responsible. The pastor's responsible, and then the congregation's responsible. Here's what I see. People fool themselves into thinking they're really growing. And they think by coming to church and just attending and that that makes them grow. It can help, and it, it should help, no doubt about that. But a lot of the growing has to happen on your own, right? That you're, you're discipling and you're, 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 you're connecting with other people that can disciple you. And that happens outside there, right? And then you and you know someone's pushing you someone's helping you to learn things one on one so you have that aspect then you have the corporate discipleship right that we have like tonight is corporate discipleship sunday mornings corporate discipleship but you got to do a lot more right and then you got to start serving and do all kinds of other things so what tends to happen is people think if i just show up on sunday then that makes me mature and a lot of times they're not even listening to the message they have ears but they don't hear Okay, so they're worried about where they're going to lunch. They just got to get this over with. I'm doing this to make my wife happy and to get her off my back. Yada, yada, yada. It's that kind of stuff, right? They're not really here for the right reasons. So that person never grows. 
right? They never grow because they only have ears to hear, but they don't apply. In order to grow, you have to apply the message. You have to live it out and say, okay, how do I work this out in my life? So what happens is people deceive themselves. So they sit in a, con- a-, a church that doesn't teach them in an in-depth way. Well, if you're not getting in-depth teaching, you're not gonna have any discernment. Because in order to, when you pick the high fruit, that gives you discernment, that you could smell out a rat. That, like what we're studying tonight, you're, I'm showing you the techniques of how they do it. So if you see the techniques, you could spot it. But if you never knew these techniques, you can't see it. So they're in churches that don't, and they're shallow, and, they, and then they, they self-deceive, and they think, okay, I'm growing, I'm growing. I've been going to this church 30 years, and I'm a real spiritual saint. I have arrived. And here's what I want to tell them. No, no, you have not arrived. In fact, what you have done is you got saved year one, and for 30 years, you just repeated year one. You never grew. Because my interactions with you can tell that you're an immature believer, right? So that, that, to answer that question, it's the lack of discernment, but the lack of discernment goes back to the kind of church they're at and the kind of spirituality they're willing to accept about their lives. Now think about this, guys. If you really want to grow... You've got to get to your junk. There's no way other than getting to the junk. You have to get to your junk. If you've done the junk work, great. You're on the right path. You can grow from there. But if you're not willing to deal with your junk, you will be a superficial Christian the rest of your life. You will not go to the depth that you need to go because you haven't dealt with your junk. You've buried it and you've covered it up and act like it's not there. Okay? So when you're in that kind of church of lollipops and candy canes and, and sunshine, um, the pastor can't take you there. He's not going to take you there. He's never going to say, work on your junk. He's going to say, you know what? If you love Jesus, then you're good. You're good to go, man. If you just love Jesus, we just got to love Jesus more, guys. We just got to love Jesus more. What does that mean? Because he won't tell you what it means, will he? We just got to love Jesus more, guys. Well, the way you love Jesus, he told me in the scriptures, obey me. And how do I obey him if I have issues in my life that continue to make me disobey him? Hence, if I keep disobeying, I am proving that I still love him as much as I thought I did. That's the first thing you you have to realize. I don't love Jesus like I thought I did. And how is that demonstrated? Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't, in my own personal life, be obedient to the things I knew I needed to be obedient to. So that's what he said. If you don't, if you don't obey me, you don't love me. You can be saved and not love Jesus. Did you know that? You can be saved. And what that means in love is you misprioritize him. He's not number one in your life. He's down here, right? That's what it means in the Hebrew is you, you put him at a second priority. Okay? So... The, when, when a pastor says, what well, do you still love Jesus? The most people don't even know what he's talking about. They don't know what do we mean how to love Jesus. The way you love Jesus more is you obey him at a very core issue inside. Yes, when you first get saved, it's gonna be outward. Okay, I'm gonna stop uh, you know, swearing. I'm gonna stop drinking. I'm gonna stop chewing. And I'm not, I'm not gonna go with girls that do. And, and all those kinds of things, right? And remember, that's the old saying, right? And... Uh, and you, that's, that's what happens when you first get saved. The outward starts conforming, okay? It's great. 
And that's what needs to happen. That's phase one. But phase two goes, I gotta go more in depth and I have to go inside my soul. And that's where it starts getting tricky. Because that's where these, these attitudes are coming from, these dispositions are coming from, all this internal junk that you think you can hide, but you can't. Because I can tell you this, the older you get, you don't have the physical capabilities of keeping it in like you did when you were 25. You don't. You know, when you were 25, you had the physical strength, believe it or not, to hold your junk together. Okay? Really. Really. But what happens is, I get into my 30s, okay, the kids are wearing me out, and it starts coming out, it starts coming out when the kids are there. You start vomiting this junk out. Like, where did that come from? That's not the man I married, that's not the woman I married. What happened to you? Oh no, she was always like that, or he was always like that. You just didn't see him because he was 25, and he could keep it together. And then you get into your 40s, and you lose your eyesight, that's me, okay? And, and then in your 40s, you really can't keep it together and you start just vomiting out. Oh my gosh, what did I marry? You're saying, like, oh, did I make a mistake? Who is this person? And, and that's what starts happening. And then the older you get, if you don't deal with it, it just gets worse and it gets worse and you really can't hold it together anymore. It's weird. Have you ever been around a bitter brother or a twisted sister like in their 70s or 60s? Oh, no, it's no good because the person's never worked on anything. They've never really wanted to deal with their issues. So they, they I hate to say this, you know, this is, the, this is what I would see on the back end. And this is sad, really, really sad. Um. When we could go into the rest homes a long, long time ago, you know, you can't go now without all this vaccination stuff and all this junk. Anyway, we had uh, people that we would go visit. And uh, there were other people that people would ask me to go visit, so I, I, I would go visit them in the nursing homes and stuff. And um, I would come upon people every once in a while that um, are pretty cantankerous in the, in the nursing home, really cantankerous. And I'm like, wow, okay, uh, okay, well, let's pray, okay? And, and so uh, I just wanted to get out of there, man. It was really bad. She steals from me, and it's just all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And, and so I'd get in there, and, and what, I talk to the nurse, and she has any visitors? No, no one's even seen her for like a month. I said, really? And then, you know, I would feel sorry initially, but then I would think, oh, I know why they're not visiting them. And, and then sometimes I would run into the kids, you know, the adult kids I'm talking about, and, and I say, yeah, your mom's pretty agitated, or your, your dad's pretty agitated, yeah. You know what, Brandon? He's gotten worse and worse. He was like that. He pushed everyone away, and no one, he didn't want to be around anybody. He was a jerk to us all. And so now, yes, we're, we have him in the nursing home, and we're paying for it, but no one even wants to be around him anymore because he treated people so bad, so bad that no one wants to pay their respects, so to speak, and to visit him. And you, you think about that, and that's a, it's a sad commentary, and you feel sorry for the person, but it's like, oh, I see what you're saying. This person tore up Jack when they were able to walk around and do things. And now everyone's like, I don't want to be around you, dude. Um, that's what happens when you don't, met, you don't work on your stuff. You know, weird, weird things. Like, 
when you see people sometimes in, in those kinds of situations, all the inhibitors are gone. Really, I mean, like, they're, they're not worried about what, the, and they will just cuss the air blue. I mean, just wham! And these are, you know, deacons in a church or something like that, you know. And what happens is their inhibitions, all that stuff just drops, and you see the real undeveloped spiritual person that just comes out, and it's bad. It's really, really bad. I've seen it. And, and I, I tell you this because I don't want to visit you and you <laughs> cuss the air blue to me when you're in the convalescent home. <laughs> no, no. I, I want you to work on your stuff. We all have to work on it because you need to get that out of you. You need to get it out and, and get free from that. But back to that question, I know it's a long way from that question. That's why people don't have discernment because they refuse to work on their deep issues. And the deep issues keep you blind. That's what happens to people. They can't see it. So, like, for instance, you go out here and tell people uh, what's going on in the world. And many of them, even though they're conservative, even though they're Christians, are going to look at you like a calf at a new gate. And it goes right over their head. Have you noticed that? With, I mean, these are other Christians that know the Bible, supposedly. And the reason is they don't, have the, they don't have any discernment, man. Because they're going to a shallow church that doesn't help them understand things. And then shame on them for continuing to go to a shallow church because it makes them feel good. That's just how it goes. Okay, I got any more questions from online? You're all good? Any here? Then we got to take a break. Yes, ma'am. Janet. Let's get her a mic. One moment, please. Do you think that one of the reasons so many of us hesitate to point out those people within the congregation that are not doing right is because for all of our lives, if we've gone to church 60 or 70 years like I have, have been fed this teaching that you are better and more loving and more blessed if you keep your mouth shut and don't cause problems within the congregation. Oh, the old, you're more, you're more spiritual if you keep your mouth shut, huh? I think you're right. I mean, you, you, if, you, if you have went to a church and you tell them, hey, this guy, um, he's shacking up with so-and-so over here. Oh, Janet, are you, how are, why are you so condem- condemning? He's doing a real good job teaching our toddlers. Right? It's stuff like that. I know what you're talking about. Because what happens in these churches, they turn a blind eye to what's going on a lot of times. I know, I'm in the inside, I get it. They have issues, they have favorites, they have this and they have that. And you have, look, there's politics in the church. You, you know that? There's politics. Yeah, and in some of the bigger ones, there's politics and they're protecting people. So Joe Blow um, might be um, shacking up over here and he's teaching third grade or something. But they won't touch him because he's, he's, he's a relative of the pastor's cousin, sister, brother. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's some type of nepotism thing going on. And you're right, Janet. Someone will bring it up and you don't know the backlog or the backstory on this and the connections. And, oh, Janet, you're just being condemned, you're just condemning. But no, they're, they're, they're connected, 
and they won't do anything. So you're right. So people say, what's the point of even talking to these people? Well, I would leave, obviously, if, if someone was doing that. But I can tell you, this happening all over, by the way. They, they shove things under the carpet and don't deal with them. Now, here's the thing, guys. You bring something to my attention, I'm going to deal with it. Okay? If it's serious enough, you will find that person not here anymore. Okay? That's just the way it is. Because I am not going to have infiltration. Um, I, I, I run the, the ship different, and my staff knows it. We, deal, we talk about this all the time. If we notice somebody is trying to infiltrate, then we will take direct action on them. Because I'm not going to let, let that happen. Now, we, we have been infiltrated, but it's whack-a-mole. We'll whack them, and that's it. Okay? And they don't come back. And that's how we do it. Keith knows, Monica knows, Ty, all of them. Uh, we do whack-a-mole. And we're like, hey, man, what's up here? And then you find out, where's, where's so-and-so? Yeah. But here's what I'd ask you to do for me. And we'll end on this. We've got to take a break, and then I think dessert's back there. Give us the benefit of the doubt. Because I will not be able to tell you what went on. Okay? Just know that what they tell you is probably wrong. Because I have eyewitnesses on my side, I have teams that deal with this, and it's not one individual handling the situation. It is a multiplicity of people involved. And so, give us the benefit of the doubt, and when we say, you know what, guys, we just had the part ways. Understand, there's a backstory, but I can't tell you the backstory. Just accept it and trust that we dealt with it. And I would, that's the only thing I ask you to do. Amen. Okay? Amen. Okay, let's take a five-minute break. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.